Well, it is so good to be with you all today. Thank you for coming and tuning in. We've been in this series on Romans chapter 8, Life in the Spirit. And I thought last week was so helpful. Uh, Jennifer Kenny, was that not a great message that she gave on Life in the Spirit? Yeah, I don't know where Jennifer is, but thank you so much for that. This idea that the Spirit is groaning uh, when we groan. And uh, this practice of lament is so important. We'll be learning more about that in the weeks uh, to come. But what we're really coming to understand in Romans chapter 8 is that there are two ways to live. You know that now, I hope. Uh, You can live on your own or you can live full of the Spirit. This is the teaching of St. Paul. You can live on your own and, and you can live with all the insecurities and a life that's fundamentally unstable or you can live one that's filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with confidence. It's secure in God's love. It's it's that simple. So today as we come to the conclusion of this conversation, I want to come to this last text and it just is one that, it just sings. And if you came into church a little bit grumpy this morning, uh, you're going to have to work hard to leave grumpy after we have read this text. So if you're able, let's turn over to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. Uh, grab the black book in the rack in front of you or pull out your phone. Navigate over Romans 8, 28 to 39. And if you're able, please stand. Let's read God's word aloud together as an act of joyful worship to the one who inspired it. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Who is Christ Jesus? Yes, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Come on now. You want to say amen, amen? Now that is good news. That, that's what, I mean, if, you, if the world needs anything right now, it's those words and the truth behind it. Wow. What a magisterial 
expression of God's unstoppable love. What a great picture of true, rock-solid confidence in the life of a believer. Now, if you've been following Romans, we move from Romans 7 to Romans 8, and there's this wonderful transition that starts to happen. As we move from the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 to its climax, we, we see a, a, an individual, uh, an I, the Apostle Paul is the writer, moving from being defeated to being someone who says we are more than conquerors. I mean, that's quite a shift. Someone's moving from discouragement at the end of chapter 7 to someone who's moving to confidence in the transforming power of God's love. So I want to ask, what's the difference? It's not just number 7 and number 8. What happens in there? What's happening in there? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been learning. This is what Paul is asserting. His claim is the difference is the Holy Spirit. 21 times in these few paragraphs, Paul uses the word spirit. I just wonder what that means to him as he's trying to explain the secret of his life. I wonder what that means to the Christian life, the Holy Spirit. Now, I had been a believer for several years, actually, before I knew anything about the Holy Spirit at all. I mean, you could drag me to church and I could say the creed uh, without flinching. Now, it wasn't as artfully done back in those days as it was today. All my I, 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 I is, uh, that deserves the back stack of the classic wax. I mean, that's all time. We just said it. And I could say it. I believe in the Holy Ghost. And um, I'm good with that. We keep moving on. What's for lunch? But I actually didn't believe in ghosts at the time. And I certainly didn't know that believe in the creed means trust. So if I had any understanding of the Holy Spirit, I certainly didn't know how to trust the Holy Spirit. And uh, I I would say that this was actually a time in my life where I didn't have a lot of confidence, not in myself, not in my prayers, not in my faith. I suppose I had some degree of confidence in Jesus that he'd get me to heaven at the end of this whole deal, but I didn't have a lot of confidence that he was involved in the everyday circumstances of my life. I told you this before. I remember when I was a freshman in college, 18 years old, lying on the floor of my dorm room, cold floors, pictured 18-year-old George there, absolutely exhausted and spent. I'd come back from a long workout at the boathouse. I, I rode in the crew. Uh, dining hall had already closed, so I was hungry, feeling very much alone, and I just started to pray. And I just felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. I was like, God, are you even up there? What I learned soon after that is God is not only up there, he's also in here. He's in here, inside George. I mean, this is the, what Paul is trying to get across. It took a, an upperclassman who cared about me, who shared his story of faith with me and helped me grow as a Christian. He explained to me about life in the spirit. And I began, for the first time in my life, began praying in the spirit, groaning. I began listening for another voice. I began letting the Holy Spirit lead me and trusting that the Holy Spirit could put power inside of me to face the challenges that I otherwise didn't know how to face. I began this process of deep transformation and confidence in God's love and it continues to this day. I mean, I'm in this process. 
how happy I was to discover just how wrong I was. I'm not alone. I am not alone. Not in this moment right now. And friends, neither are you. You're not alone either. If you've acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit is with you. And that's such good news. So St. Paul here is, he's trying to remind the saints in Rome that they're not alone. And, and he's hoping that they'll have a full experience of the Holy Spirit. So he's writing this way. And my prayer for us in these four weeks, five weeks is the same thing. I just want to remind myself, I want to remind you of who the Holy Spirit is and his power. And I, I pray that we'll walk away from this with a new capacity to walk according to the Spirit, as Paul says, in power. So what I want to do today as we kind of wrap this whole thing up is two things. I want to answer two questions or try to. The one is who is the Holy Spirit? A little bit of a review there. And the other is how do we give the Holy Spirit access to our lives? Okay, I want to be practical about that one. And I want to give you a practice. So first the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Let's go back on this again. Who is? What do we mean? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we've been calling him the resident agent of life and peace. Resident agent of life and peace. I want to unpack that one more time for you. So there are three parts to that. Resident agent of life and peace. What do we mean by that? Well, first of all, he's a resident. Looking back at Romans 8, verse 9, you see this. Paul writes, the Spirit of God dwells in you, dwells in you. He dwells in you, he lives in you, makes his home in you, moves in, takes up residence inside you. See, he's a resident. This word dwell, Paul uses several times. He's repeating it. By the way, he does in chapter 7 as well. He says, the sin dwells in you. The same thing. But now as we come to 8, oh, it's not my sin alone that dwells in me. The Holy Spirit, God dwells. Uh, with me. He's living there. So last week I was with my sister and she told me a story. She said, one time I checked into a hotel room and there was another couple in the room. She was like, apparently the front desk had made some mix up with the way they coded the cards or booked the room or something. She's like, so I swiped the card, opened the door and all of a sudden we were all screaming. <laughs> Everyone's like, what are you doing in my room? What are you doing? Open my door. And uh <clears throat> What I think Paul is saying is there's somebody already in your life, right? There's someone who's already there. You're, you, like, there's someone in your life living in your life. You're not alone in your own life. You're not alone there, right? There's another tenant and maybe one day, like maybe today, you wake up and you're surprised. You're like, ah, <laughs> what, what? You know, that's the way, because the Holy Spirit moved in quietly. You didn't even know it. Maybe you received Jesus Christ as your Lord years ago and you've kind of forgotten about the Holy Spirit. Well, he's here. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, look, uh, listen, he says, I stand at the door and knock the door of your life. If you open the door, I will come in. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you. This is Jesus himself saying this. Now, when you, when you say yes to Jesus, it's not like a, five foot four carpenter physically steps in your body. That would hurt, ouch, right? That's not what Jesus is promising. He's promising his spirit. When you say yes to me, I put my spirit inside of you. He dwells in you, he lives in you, he becomes a resident. And this is what Paul means when he's talking about the spirit. And it's what I mean when I say he's a resident. Okay, secondly, he's a resident agent. Notice verse 26, the, Holy, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is agency. The Holy Spirit is an agent. He helps us. 
The Holy Spirit, I want you to get this, is a person. We should not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. The Holy Spirit is not a, a force, not a power. He has force, has power. He's not an emotion. He's not love. He has love, but he's not love. He's actually a person. Remember, he's the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why do I stress that? Because what you think of the Holy Spirit affects how you will relate to the Holy Spirit. If you think of the Holy Spirit as a thing, as an object, as a tool, as a technique, you're going to miss out on a relationship, right? We treat objects differently than we treat persons. The Holy Spirit is not a, a thing. And, and how do we relate to persons? Well, we get to know them. We spend time with them. We build trust with them. We commune with them. We start to fall in love with them. And we always acknowledge their capacity to surprise us. They're other than we are. This is the Holy Spirit. Okay, he, he's, he's an agent. Important uh, to recognize that. Verse 27 here in Romans 8 says he has a mind. You know, Holy Spirit's got a mind. Think about that. Elsewhere, we read he has intellect, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He has will, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. He has emotions, Romans 15, 30. So these are kind of the qualities we expect a person to have, and he is a person. It's rather convenient sometimes for me to objectify the Holy Spirit because then I preserve my own agency. I don't have to be bothered by a, a real person in my life. I love being the only will in the universe. It's very, it's very comforting for me. But I might be missing out. I might be missing out. Richard Lovelace, this, um, he's one of the great experts on spiritual renewal from the last century. Richard Lovelace, I recommend him. He says that for many of us, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is like a bad marriage. Think of that metaphor. It's like a bad marriage or a bad roommate situation. Right? You share a home, but there's really no intimacy. There's really not a lot of communication that happens. Um, the goal is kind of like divvy up the tasks and run into each other as rarely as possible. You've been, you've been in relationships like that. For a lot of us, that's like our relationship with the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes the Holy, I pay so little attention to the Holy Spirit in my life. The Spirit's like, George, I'm here and I'm starting to get bored. So I'm going to go over to the couch and play Xbox for a while. If you don't mind, I'm ready for you when you, you, know, you want to engage with me. But, you know, so is the Holy Spirit playing Xbox in your life right now? Saying, like, I'd love to get off the couch. I'd love to get involved with what you're involved with. But you, you know, you've got to invite me. You've got to engage me. Look at what the Holy Spirit uh, is doing here in Romans 8. That the Holy Spirit is the subject of these verbs. Not, not the object of these verbs. He's an agent. So, um, Paul says, he sets you free. He gives you life. He leads you. He helps you. He bears witness within you. He intercedes with you. See, he's trying to drive the action of your life. He's, he's a person. He's an agent. Secondly, and then thirdly, uh, he's the resident agent of life and peace. Now, this, this is my favorite part. And let me give you a picture of where he's trying to take you, this agent. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 6, to set the mind, oh, it's our mind, on the spirit that resident agent, is life and peace. 
Now, when Paul uses those two words in the context of Romans 8, you have to understand them in the broadest possible sense, life and peace, right? Chayim, life, shalom, peace. This is Genesis language. This is about the story that we're in and the, and the welfare and the flourishing of all of creation. The whole cosmos should one day be filled with life and peace. This is the promise of the scripture. So let me just be a theology geek with you for a second and ask you a question. This is a question that theologians have wanted to ask for generations. Why did God create? Why did God create the world? What do you think? The answer Paul gives here is love. It's love. God wanted there to be an other who is not himself with whom he could share love. God wanted an other with whom he could live in loving union for all of eternity. You and me, and not just you and me, uh, animals and, and mountains and, and, and ecosystems, the whole cosmos itself is this wonderful other with whom God intends to share loving union. I mean, this is why the passage sings to us because it's so global in nature. N.T. Wright, uh, Oxford scholar N.T. Wright, he says this, this, the union thus envisioned, and by the way, I recommend this book. I, I quoted this book, it's History and Eschatology. It's not an easy book, but um, I highly recommend it. If you get stuck, send me an email. The union thus envisioned is one in which every creature, every creature, that's not just humans, and especially every image-bearing creature, that is humans, will be more, listen to this, truly and uniquely and gladly itself. And the creator will delight in its being so. This is why God created. And by the way, this is the source of real confidence. It, divine love. Divine love that will make you, quote, uniquely and gladly your true self. Life and peace is about you becoming, the cosmos becoming, all that God intends for the whole world. Okay, let me give you one other little uh, theological tidbit. This language that Paul's using, when he talks about filling, when he talks about dwelling, what his Jewish readers would know is this is temple language. He's talking about temple, what happens in the temple. Remember, when Solomon built and dedicated the, the temple in Jerusalem, it was instantly filled with the glory of the Lord. And it became exactly the way it should be. But the temple in ancient Israel was a picture of the cosmos. It's actually designed architecturally to remind the Jew of the whole universe. And so he's using this temple language. Israel, they carried about this tabernacle and then they built the temple in Jerusalem. And with it, they carried a promise that one day the glory of the Lord shall fill not just the temple, but the whole earth. Numbers 14, Habakkuk 2, Psalm 72. Someday the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth. The world will be made right. It'll be filled with love. It'll be in loving union with its creator and every single creature will become uniquely and gladly itself. This is what Paul's writing about. I mean, I love this. I'm just stepping back here from Romans 8 for a second so you can see like the whole chapter as a whole, what it's all about. What Paul's really saying in Romans 8 is what happened to Jesus and his resurrection is going to happen to all creation. It's gonna be resurrected. The new creation is starting over. Jesus is the new Adam and all of the creation. It's going to be a new, it's like a new Genesis. This is our future. Nothing can separate us from this future. And it's true for your life as well. 
That's what it means to be filled with the glory of the Lord. And so Paul says this. Here's the interesting thing. It's, it, look at verse, eight, uh, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. What's he saying there? The creation, the whole cosmos, is watching you. Because when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it sees a foretaste of its future. It starts with us. And it starts with the Holy Spirit. We're the new temple. God dwells in us. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the glory of the Lord. And it's a sign. It's a sign to all, including the powers of darkness. This is why there's all this talk about the sword and persecution. But it's a sign that the Lord is going to put to right all that is wrong. That you are becoming uniquely you. And indeed, it's a sign of the whole new the creation that it also is going to be renewed. Life and peace. You see those two words now. They're, they're, they're rich words. And so the Holy Spirit is the resident agent of that. Life and peace for all. That's the larger teaching of Romans 8. And it's what we mean by resident agent of life and peace. Okay, so that's the, the who question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Let me pivot now and spend the rest of my brief time here on the second question, which is the how question. How do we give ourselves access to this resident agent? What I've discovered over the years is that most of us are like I was as a young Christian in college. Most of us are stuck in the Christian life. Most of us are trying to grind out a Romans 7 spirituality. We're feeling defeated and discouraged, even though God wants more for us. So we're like Oliver, who's caught between his anxiety and his need for control. We're like Tara and her inability to shake off bitterness, even though she wants to forgive. We're like Wynn and his preoccupation with sexual escapism. He promises not to go back to porn, but he can't seem to get rid of it. We're like Jamar and his spiritual dryness and his sense that Christianity must just not work for me. And the problem with these friends is not that they haven't been around the church. It's not that they can't say the creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost. The problem is that they don't know him. They don't know the Holy Spirit and they don't know how to give the Holy Spirit access to their whole lives. And by the way, as I've had conversations with a number of you during this series, what I've also noticed is some of it may have to be with the sense of inevitability in passages like Romans 8. We are like, oh, everything is going to work out great. So I believe in Jesus. I'm befuddled by the Holy Spirit, but does it really matter if everything's going to work out great? I'll just let the Holy Spirit do whatever he chooses to do or not do in my life, right? Just kind of, it's kind of the way... Many of us think of like world peace as well. It'll happen, you know, with or without me. Um, no, that's not the way the Holy Spirit talks about life. In this, in, that's not how the scriptures portray life in the Spirit. So let me give you an ex example of this. Notice throughout the New Testament, there are commands. Uh, for example, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, be guided by the Spirit. Do, uh, live by the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. All of these commands implicitly uh, suggest that you are an agent too. It's not just sin and the spirit, but you're an agent and that the Holy Spirit honors your agency in this process. So you actually have to participate in this. You can't sit back and go, well, whatever will happen. You have to participate. You have to know and understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and join it. 
So this is what Paul is suggesting in Romans 8 where he talks about you can either walk according to the flesh or you can walk according to the spirit. You can either live according to the flesh or you can live according to the spirit. You can set your mind on the things of the flesh or you can set your mind. There are two ways to live. And you get to decide which way you live. So the question is how do you do it if you want to make that shift from Romans 7 to Romans 8? How do we walk according to the spirit? Well, I hope we've been learning all along throughout the series. And if you're just jumping in to join us here in the series, please go back and check out our, these messages on YouTube. Um, all along we've been learning. But I want to leave you with one practice. It's the very same practice that this upperclassman shared with me when I was uh, by then a sophomore in college. And he called it spiritual breathing. So that's what I'll call it, spiritual breathing. I want you to just take a minute now and take a, a breath. Just, take, just do this with me. Take a deep breath. Just go... Hold it. Now exhale. Boy, I needed that. Does that feel good? Like, okay, so you already know how to do this. That's breathing. Now what we're talking about is spiritual breathing. And it begins with the exhale. If we start with the exhale. We exhale our sin. Remember St. John says in his first epistle, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess... If we confess, here's the agency, our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the word confess there, the Greek word there is homo legeo. And you, I say that because you can sort of see, hear the parts. Homo is the same as legeo to say. To confess, then biblically, is to say the same as God says. It's to agree with God. And so if you're gonna do what John invites us to do, you're gonna to have to agree with God about three things. First of all, we agree, what I did was wrong. We agree about our sin or about our sins. Uh, and we call it what it is. We say it's an offense to God's goodness. Okay, we agree that what we did is wrong. Secondly, we agree that it's forgiven. This is so important. We say the same as what God says about us. And as Pastor Aaron just led us earlier in a prayer of confession, who can condemn us? Christ Jesus has died for us. Jesus is not standing there in judgment over you. Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father as your advocate. You are forgiven. So the second thing you go like, I don't want to, no shame here, no condemnation here. I'm not going to wallow in it. I'm not going to try and motivate myself by making myself feel bad. That is not the way the gospel works. No, actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, forgiven. I know who I am, child of God. And then the third thing we agree with God about is uh, to live differently, to live the way a child of God would live, right? So I pledge to trust the Holy Spirit for power and a new pathway forward. So, so that's what it means to exhale. We agree with God. We confess our sin. It's wrong. I'm forgiven. We live differently. <sighs> okay, that's exhaling. Then the second part of it is inhaling. We inhale the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do it with me again. <sighs> be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your life like a temple. The glory of the Lord is now filling. You don't see it, you don't feel it, but you trust, okay? What it means to be filled is to allow the Holy Spirit to assume agency in every area of your life now. Okay, you're in charge. I'm filling, I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean come in for the first time. If you've already said yes to Jesus, he's already there. Paul's clear about this. But it means take charge. Lead me, empower me. And the key point here on the inhale is faith. I want to... Paul and Colossians said the way you begin with faith is the way that you continue with faith. 
It's important. Faith is trust. And you need to acknowledge because you may not feel any different that, that the spirit is in your life because you've prayed, fill me with your spirit. Remember 1 John later in his epistle in chapter 5, he says this. Be bold in faith. He says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that we have obtained the request made of him. Okay, what is he saying? If what you ask is what he wills, it's what you've already got. Follow me? If what you ask is what he wills, it's what you've already got. That's what John is saying. So if we pray, fill me with your spirit, we know, because it's a command, it's what God wills, we've already got it. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. So now it's just a matter of get up and go and take that next step as though it's the absolute truth of your life. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's that easy because God is the one who does the heavy lifting, right? So first we exhale, confess our sin, and then we inhale, believe by faith that we're full of the Holy Spirit. Take that next step. Remember, faith is determined by its object. People say to me as a pastor, well, I wish I had your faith. Well, look, you don't need my faith. It's not about the quantity of the faith. Jesus was real clear about that. Mustard seed would be enough. It's about the object of the faith. It's what you put your faith in. Faith is determined always by its object. We all have faith. The question is, what do you put your faith in? I mean, if if you have a ton of faith, but you put it in a half inch of ice, brother, you're going to get wet. But if you have a thimble full of mustard seed of faith and you put it in six feet of ice, you can drive your truck, your semi across that ice, right? So your faith, it's not how much you have, it's that you're putting it in God's promise to you, the promise that God has made to you about his Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying to you, I promise to clothe you with power from on high, I promise. Jesus is saying, I promise to take however much faith or little faith you have and help you trust me with it. I, I, trust me to wipe the slate clean. Trust me to fill you with my spirit. Trust me to lead and empower you. Inhale and take that step, Jesus says. So that's spiritual breathing. That's the practice. I, I hope and pray that we walk away from this day all giving it a try and learning and helping each other along this way. Spiritual breathing. It's how we give the spirit access to our lives, confession and faith, exhale and inhale. I have to tell you, as a young man in college, this was the practice that started to change my life. And it does to this day. As I gave the resident agent of life and peace more access and agency in my life, I began to change. He changed my relationships with the party scene. He changed my relationships with the women in my life. He changed my relationship to my studies, my academic path and my future career. Changed my relationship to the poor and injustice. I started to become an agent of life and peace for others because of the Holy Spirit's influence on my life. So even today when I find myself stuck in my fear, losing my temper, doubting my abilities, or even just starting the day. I practice spiritual breathing. Richard Lovelace, let me leave you with a quote. Richard Lovelace, that expert on spiritual renewal, he writes this. We should make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. Every day, at the outset. To move into the light concerning his presence in our consciousness and to open our minds and to share all our thoughts and plans as we gaze by faith into the face of God. We should continue to walk throughout the day in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit. This is very active. This is like a good marriage. This is like a good relationship with a a roommate. This is like loving union. 
This is like a dance partner. You're learning the steps. You're growing in sensitivity. Over time, with the Holy Spirit, you're going to become more responsive. You're going to learn how to follow his lead. You're going to fall in love, maybe all over again. You become an agent of this love for the world. Oh, yeah, and you'll grow in confidence. I'm sure of it. That's, what I, that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you. So that as you and I and all of our neighbors can say one day with the apostle, I am confident that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, as one of my friends says, you are doomed to success. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible gift. This is, I guess this is why Jesus, Lord, you said it would be better for, you, for us if you went away. Because in your going, there is the coming of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'll soften our hard hearts. Lord, I pray that you'll replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Lord, would you fill us. Let UPC, let us and each of us individually somehow be a living temple. Can we live into that and own the, the authority and the beauty of that? We're the place where you've chosen to live. Lord, feel at home. Be at home in our lives, in our church. For your glory and for the good of all creation, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.